Well, like, you know, like just make something and you don't have to be the performer of it, but there's a lot of performers out there that would love a producer to just say, hey, do you know what? I reckon I can help you find a bigger audience um, but because I'll, 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 what if I put together a digital, a, a social plan for you? So every time you create an episode of your podcast, um, this is how I can help you promote it. Or would you like me to help you book guests? Or would you, you know, I'd like to enter your podcast in some awards, you know, or whatever. Like just, just help make it. And that, those are the people that when we're hiring and they can show me, oh, look, I've produced this podcast. I produced this comedy festival show. I produced this comic whatever like they're the ones that impress me rather than the people that are kind of waiting for someone to say yes you can have a turn because i just think that that just doesn't exist anymore like yeah it's all momentum and it's but it's all you gotta you gotta generate your own momentum by just making things and in this day and age you don't have to wait for a, a tv network or a radio network to have something to produce Hi, I'm Dan Brophy, and this is Quit Your Day Job, a podcast for frustrated creatives. How do you turn what you love into what you do? Each week, I chat to a different creative about how they found a way to monetize their passions. Here at Quit Your Day Job, we believe that the pursuit of what you love is just a process, and one that is available to anyone. So what are you waiting for? The journey to becoming more connected to who you are and what you do starts now. What does it take to be one of the most in-demand creative thinkers working in Australian radio? I thought I'd ask Sam Kavanagh, who has been a producer at Southern Cross Austereo since the early 2000s. He's best known for producing his good mates Hamish and Andy, but he's also acted as a producer and a creative consultant on countless other radio shows across the Osterio, Hit and Triple M networks. Sam Cav is revered in his industry. There's no one who does what he does better. I wanted to chat to Sam about the practical day-to-day processes that go into being a leader in his field. How does he plan his day? How does he stay on top of a never-ending to-do list? When does he find time to exercise or for personal reflection? Or for the gathering of inspiration that will fuel his next great idea? The challenges that Sam faces in a creative and logistically demanding role within a fast-paced environment are relatable to everyone. It's often our lack of systems and processes that prevent us from getting on top of our workload and being top of our game. Sam is a big picture creative thinker who knows how to get the most out of his day and the people he works with. I've looked up to this guy for a long time, so it was an honor to have a chat to him for Quit Your Day Job. Before we get down to the chat, can I ask a favor? If you like the show, can you do what you can to spread the love? Could you write a review and rate it on iTunes? Could you share it to your Facebook page? Could you screen capture it and post it to your Instagram stories? Or could you simply share it via text with someone who may find it inspiring? Let's do what we can to spread information like this to continue to grow our community of creative entrepreneurs. Let's start a revolution, people. And now, please enjoy my chat with Sam Kavanagh in an episode I like to call How to Produce Your Creative Life. Sam Cav. Dan Brophy. So, I, I love that we're in a professional radio studio and I'm using my shitty... <laughs> no, they're great. We use these all the time. <laughs> my tiny sound recording device, which That's is right. being dwarfed by the fact that we are in... A you know, studio. We're a a city... radio studio. Look, when, when people say to you, hey, what do you do? What do you tell them? Yeah, I'm a producer. Uh, uh, more specifically, a radio producer. Um... And I, I guess most notably, produce, I'm the executive producer of the Hamish and Andy radio show and have been since day one, which I think was nearly 12 years ago. 
um, we started on like Saturday mornings. So it's been a long ride through various um, different formats and but mainly a national drive show, um, which has been a hell of a ride and lots of fun. So what exactly is a producer? <laughs> you're, the, the boys are the, you know, in your instance, more often than not, Hamish and Andy have been the ones sitting at the microphones yep. on the air. And then there's also, you know, usually one or two other people who are there all the time as well. But what are that? That's been, sure. What, what does the team doing? look like? Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, Hamish and Andy are very different in that they both are very involved in the production process. Um, but um, yeah, usually, so there's on-air talent, um, and some on-air talent are content creators, and some are just performers, and um, and that means you know, I don't, I won't name names or anything, but. You know, some performers are just brilliant at appropriating an idea and selling it and communicating it to the world. Other performers, you know, come in with pages and pages of ideas that they've thought of and, and they want to workshop with the team or not. Um, so they're the on-air team. And then you, the production team, led by the executive producer, um, essentially puts the show together every day. Um, so takes all the ideas from the team. So... Some teams, everyone contributes ideas. Some teams, just the on-air talent. It, it just depends on who's on the show and sort of what they're doing. Um, and and the EP, yeah, runs the show, runs the day, runs the team, essentially. So um, he's thinking about everything from, um, you know, who's our sponsor this week and what, what are our commitments there to... Um, who's the big guest that's coming in next week and have we put enough thought into what we're going to do with them? Have we got all the necessary approvals in place to do what we want to do? Um, I mean, I, I, a lot of the time I think about my job in two different buckets. One is the team and one is the content. And and I'm kind of jumping between those two buckets of managing the team and making sure everyone has the information and um, and the space to do what they need to do in their job. Um, and then the content, which is, all right, well, what are we actually making? And, um, have I, has, does everyone know how they're, how that's going to come together? And have we, often I'm just creating space to have conversations, you know, to go right, right now, you know, the show's on air in two minutes. It's not a good time to go, shit, Justin Timberlake, that idea fell through. We need a new one. And, um, and we're doing that tomorrow. (laughs) So it's going, how, how do I create the space and what is it? What's the essentially, what do I need to communicate to whom and when to get the best outcome? Um, so I do that. Uh, It would be sort of my, my, normal job and then I'm also the national executive producer at SCA so Southern Cross Stereo is the is the company that run the radio network we're on and uh, the national role is sort of is is great fun I get to do lots of different things like um, put on like an annual conference for all our producers so you know SCA has about um, about 50 producers working on our various shows on the Triple M network or the Hit network all around the country. And then you add to that probably about another 30 or 40 digital producers, again, spread out around the country. So I do an annual conference that brings them all together and we have keynote speakers, workshops, get to talk about nerdy producing stuff, which is what we get off on, I guess. Uh, I also that role um, in that role I've done things like create a producer traineeship for the company, um, and but my favourite part of it is I get to go around and help set up new shows. So if we have a new show in a market, I can um, go there and and run some sort of a, a workshop or um, a, a day where we we sort of set the team up, set the focus for the show, might set some goals might um, to just try and articulate what sort of a show we're trying to create, um, figure out how we're all going to work together. Because I think the interesting thing about radio um, is it's a real team sport, like particularly breakfast radio. You have um, a really focused, small in comparison to other media um, team that just are in each other's pockets in a really unique way, often at God ungodly hours 
of the day. So it, it really pays dividends to get the some processes and some processes right at the start and have some important conversations before you um you sort of are under too much pressure. So that's a part of what I do. Um I'm banging on a bit here, but no, that, that, that's what I do within this business. And then outside of here, um, I, I have, a, I guess, a, a bit of a digital portfolio. Four years ago, um, I, I worked with some friends and we co-founded an app called Shout for Good, um, which we worked on. I was on the board and, and as I said, one of the first investors. And it did really well and was acquired by ANZ sort of two and a half, three years later. And so I've been able to use that capital and experience to invest in a few other startups. And I'm on the board of Tribe, um, which is one of our mutual friends, Jules Lund's business, um, which um, is a, a marketplace for social influencers and brands to connect. Um, so I do that. I'm working on a, on a podcast with a friend. So I like, I like to do lots of different things outside of here as well. I've always had... I've always considered this my main job and then always had part-time jobs as well. Mm. Just to give an indication of you know how you got the skill set together to do what you do, yeah. I first met you around 2004, yep. and that means that you know I think it was probably bef- maybe before you were doing stuff with the guys on, on Saturday mornings, so or yeah. maybe that was around the same time? I think, yeah, no, 2004 was just about that time. Um, so the way it started was Jules Lund, again, our mutual friend, won a competition on Fox FM called the 15 Days of Fame. And after that competition, the, the boss of the radio station said, look, you, you know, you've got some great talent. Would you like to do a night show once a week? And he said yes. And then he um, asked me if I would produce it for him. And I literally had no idea, A, what commercial radio was or what producing meant, but Luckily, Jules and I had been working at the Reach Foundation for quite a few years then, and we'd been kind of doing these really experiential camps and workshops for teenagers, which um, which was actually producing, even though we didn't call it that. But we would take um, you know we'd take thirty kids away, and and we'd call it the Blair Witch Camp, and then we would just work out how to scare them for a weekend and try and come up with a a metaphor out of that and some anchor it to some sense of wellness <laughs> of learning and development but you know we were just trying to create experiences that were like edgy and that they would love and then we would once we had them really hooked we'd work out what's the lesson in this and how do we create some sort of development out of it it was not very sophisticated but it certainly was produ- producing you know like it was, you had an audience and you had to hook them and and there was a hundred problems and logistics you had to sort out along the way um and you're doing it all yourself and and so when he asked me to produce Jules asked me to produce his radio show you know I said yes and um we had a really great sort of 12 months totally off Broadway making lots of mistakes um but just figuring out how to put a radio show together and what time of night did that go to air it was it was 10 p.m till midnight only on Tuesday nights. It was literally the worst time slot. But because we were so naive, we thought it was a big deal. It's, the, it's totally the blessing of naivety because we thought, oh, shit, this is like Fox FM, man. Like, this is a big deal. Um, and so we treated it as such. If I, if I had known now what I knew then, I would have just been lazy and not really cared but mate we literally scripted the whole show like we treated every two-hour show as if it was like your opus correct and and it was it was insane but we didn't know any better and so through that process you know we learned a lot and and had had some fun were you nervous yeah i totally i mean yeah i mean jules obviously was he was presenting the show so he his anxiety was was much higher than mine but um yeah it was great and and it was an incredible opportunity and so through that I was then offered a job obviously being in a radio station people notice you and see what you're doing and um (laughs) figuring out why we're working so hard on this like show that literally no one was hearing but we were somehow there more than anyone else in the building and just hassling everyone um, yeah, what was your hassle like? As, or your hassle slash hustle? Yeah. Were you 
getting people to pay attention to what you were making? Were you asking people yeah. if you could sit in on what they were doing? Um, yeah, a bit of that. And, and just try, look, uh, my main hustle was trying to get guests. So, which not surprisingly, no one wants to come on your show at 10 o'clock at night on a Tuesday night. Like literally no one. And it didn't even really occur to us to pre-record the show because we wanted to have live callers and stuff. So it was just like, just hassling and hustling everyone to get interviews i remember i managed to get mandy moore do you remember mandy yeah it was a big deal totally she was a big deal at the time and i think i must have bullshitted the publicist because they and all they just didn't ask and find to to want to know exactly when the show was going to air but i remember getting her and we were so fucking nervous um but anyway yeah so we did that then i was offered a job um on the breakfast show. So it was the Tracy and Matt breakfast show and I was the assistant producer, which is like literally the bottom of the food chain. Um, you know, you're making coffees and you're, um, you, you know, you're prepping for guests. And you're, but in a team of how many people? Um, it's probably a team of, so there's an executive producer, Mel Murphy, who was totally my mentor and taught me everything I know about producing. I was so lucky that, that she was the executive producer. Um, and then me as the assistant producer, and then there was an audio producer. Uh, we didn't have a website. That's how old I am, so we didn't even have a digital producer. Um, and, and you know, that's it. And then, obviously, the on-air talent and, um, and you know, promotions team and stuff. So, um, But it was awesome, you know. It was two and a half years of breakfast radio of learning, and, and luckily for me, Mel... Um, got married over that period and so she had some time off so I got to sort of step up and try and be an executive producer um, which was again another amazing opportunity and and the whole time we were doing this um, we had ha- I, I had asked Hamish to come in and work on the show as a writer um, for for Tracy so he was he started as a writer and then was doing segments um, and you know it was just great to have a friend in in the room at five o'clock in the morning um, and he was obviously so funny that it didn't take people long to figure out that he was a star. So he then got Andy involved and they started doing late nights. And um, and then when they moved to Saturday morning, I was producing them on Saturday morning and, and the breakfast show during the week. Um, and we had a three-hour Saturday morning show, which then went national. Um, so it was a national Saturday morning show. And again, it's a lot of this is the luck of time. Like this was before there really was Saturday morning shows. So, so what does there? What does Saturday morning show mean now? Well, now, um, well, for instance, so the Hit Network has just launched this year uh, a local Saturday morning show in every market, um, which has never been done before because it's such great development, you know, and it's you can such a great opportunity to have a look at some other shows and give them some flying hours and see what sticks. Um, and we have a national Sunday morning show as well. But back then there was no such thing really. I mean, there were sports shows on the Triple M network and stuff, but nothing on the hit network. So um, yeah, we did that for sort of two years or so, uh, two and a half years. And then... And all the while you were doing it, did you feel like you're... Were you thinking, oh, I, I'm, uh, I'm ready to... Every time you have, you took a leap forward in, in terms of doing something new, were yep. you really hungry for it or did it get thrust upon you when you felt that you weren't quite ready but you'll see how you go? Yeah, good question. Um, I think I've always been more... Um, I've always... I've been... I, I am ambitious but I don't really set goals. I'm more see an opportunity and even though I don't feel ready for it, say yes and figure it out. So if someone says, hey, do you want to do this? Um, even if I feel really underprepared, I will say yes and then just figure out how to do it as opposed to being really ambitious and sort of setting a target and a goal and then figuring out how to achieve it. I've more always, and I know people like that, like my partner Katie's a lot like that and Jules is certainly very like that. Um, whereas I'm a bit more go with the flow and then, spot an opportunity and then go oh yeah that looks like fun I reckon I can do that I I don't know what I want to do next do you know what I mean like I don't have a five-year plan or anything like that or even a six-month plan so I don't know if that answers your question Mm. but I've certainly always felt oh that's a little scary but yeah that's an opportunity if I just say yes I'll figure it out 
And so when you were having a chat to Hamish and Andy about going from just being, you know, three mates who probably had this humour that they shared between mm. them to then all of a sudden going, let's turn this into a Saturday morning show. Yeah. Did that humour evolve naturally because you had a format that was three hours and you had to fill it? Or did you go, okay, guys, this is our yeah. tone, this is our target market, this is our... Yeah, no, I mean, there was... Initially, there was nothing scientific about it. It was about... Um, it was just about having fun. And um, But the guys are really hard workers and they, they're analytical about the show after the fact and, and like to try and figure out if something worked, why did it work and... Um, and if it didn't work, then absolutely we would have a conversation about, you know, why did that fall flat? Um, and not, not so much with specific breaks, because it's the beauty of radio. It's really disposable, and you know, if something doesn't go right, you can just move on to the next thing pretty quickly. But with big ideas or story arcs or, like, big content spikes that we had put effort into and, and had planned... You know, if they ever fell flat or even halfway through, we were going, it's just, why doesn't this feel right? It's not connecting. Um, you know, it doesn't seem to be as funny as we thought it would be. Like, we were, were never scared or have never been scared to have that conversation and go, what can we do to make this feel a bit better? Or what do, what do we need to bring? What do we need to inject into this so that it, it connects a bit more? Or... Um, with the, with those things, we've always had those conversations. But we, we've once early on, we would have every six months or so a conversation, you know, as simple as like a meeting where we would just talk about what what's the show, what is it, what are our brand values, what does the show stand for, what sort of a show we're we trying to make. Um, usually, as a reflection of what things have work, been working well. So, you know, what is it that works well when when we do this sort of content it just feels like that's the show at its best well how do we articulate that just for ourselves and and for the other people in the team we had a lot of those conversations and and we still do you know how early on did you start having um pretty early post-mortems? on yeah pretty early on like it's certainly certainly from when we went to drive and we're, and we're, so we were we done saturday morning and again we had the the luxury of being off Broadway, being completely left to our own devices, in the radio station with no one else is here. Mm. You know, did getting... anyone in that time say give you any feedback or yeah, tell you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had lots of good, lots of good mentors within within the station, but it's no one's main priority, mm. which is a which is a real um, gift. You know, no one's job is on the line if their Saturday morning show isn't as funny as it could be. You know, or does something stupid on Saturday morning. Not that many people are going to hear it. Um, so you're allowed to make mistakes and you're allowed to figure things out on your own and you're allowed to naturally... I mean, we literally had two and a half years to figure out what is our show. I just don't think there's many shows nowadays that would have that luxury. To still have a big enough audience that it's important and you've got to get it right, but a small enough audience and off-Broadway enough for people to let you make mistakes. So... That was a real privilege. And then when we went to drive, we certainly, I remember sitting down and going, okay, let's try and formulate some sort of a, an idea of what this show is. Um, and then I remember, and we had conversations about how important the listeners were to the show. And then I remembered hearing really vividly, I remember sitting in the studio and hearing Andy live on air say, well, I can't remember what we were doing. We're doing something, something, something. And he goes, you know, and it's the people's show, so you can call in and do blah, blah, blah. And I just went, that's it, the people's show. Like, as soon as he said it, I just was like, that's it, that's what the show is, it's the people's show. And and so when we were able to articulate that and go, you know, well, that's our thing, it's the people's show, and we should, you know, all the things we do that are great are because we've had that that philosophy of it's the people's show, so you get to choose, you get to name this, you get to choose that, you get to do that. All the important decisions are the audience's decisions to make with us. Um, so it was just that we're sort of we're moving towards what we knew the show should be and then something organically happened on the air that we grabbed and made a point of, of, of articulating and, and signposting and then that unlocked heaps of creativity because then 
we knew what we were doing and 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 a radio show is a small part of a much bigger machine so it gives you a clarity to be able to communicate <clears throat> with all the other departments in not just what things would work will work but what things won't work you know it's like look there's a, it's clear that that idea isn't going to work for this show because you know these are the things we're trying to do so have you um, has the notion of the people show continued with the boys as they've moved into tv stuff and they've the world has expanded uh i i probably can't comment on on their tv stuff so much but it certainly has evolved as the radio show has evolved this last year we did the people's cruise so we took um oh, it was like i think it was like 180 listeners from all over australia on a cruise with Hamish and Andy and it was just like epic we had to figure out how to broadcast live from a, a cruise ship that's you know sailing through the Pacific Ocean um and just an incredible I mean I just cannot think of any other entertainment brand on any platform that would go to its audience, come on a cruise with us, like, like literally come on a holiday with us. So, you know, absolutely they've maintained that philosophy and, and it's because they know it's when the show's at its best. We all know it's when the show's at its best. Like the, the stories from our listeners are, um, and just the contribution from our listeners, they always come up with something that we just, is so much funnier than we would have thought of, you know, in a planning meeting. So when you were... Um when you were developing the, the the tone of the show and that nugget of gold had come out of Andy's mouth and he mm. suggested people show, mm. how far into the process had it been when, when that... Um, how long had you been doing the thing for before that uh, came out? Oh, I probably couldn't tell you the exact timelines, but it was it was pretty soon after we'd started Drive, so not, it wouldn't have been too long. But you'd had two and a half years at least of... Of just mucking around, yeah. Yeah, mm. just... Two and a half years of being on air without any sort of sophistication about what are we trying to do. Just it was like, what's funny in the next two minutes? <laughs> what's that? Did you remember any really great advice that a mentor had given you in those first couple of years oh, of getting no. started? It's a good question. I don't. I don't remember anything specifically, but I do. I just remember the support I had from my EP, which was Mel, and she, you know, she just was always encouraging me to do, take on new responsibilities and take things, you know, to, to just hand me things and just, and then once she'd hand it to me, she would always be supportive, but also let me do it. And, um, you know, and so that, and so I was just very lucky that I had that. And besides from the reach training that you had, did you have any Tertiary train, a no. tertiary education. No, that I did a, equipped I, you? Look, I did an arts degree at Melbourne Uni, which, um, although doesn't give you any formal qualifications for anything useful, it but it does like absolutely going to uni helps you learn how to learn and learn how to figure things out and you know learn how to keep appointments and and research something and. And and it develops your, your your ability to write and communicate absolutely. But no, I did. I had a major in criminology, so so it was interesting. But it's not altogether totally irrelevant no, to no, your no. following life. Yeah, true. So and so many of the people I've spoken to over the course of the podcast have been Reach alumni, and yeah. it comes up a lot just because it was so formative for mm. so many people. Mm. And I was definitely, I'm definitely subscribed to a similar value set, mm. uh, having just sort of known so many Reach people, and I. Mm. Think when they tell me about what the philosophy is, I'm like, yes, absolutely. I yeah. totally agree with that. Yeah. So just to give, just to briefly touch on it, what do you think it is about that institution that does equip so many people to now be such important media, you know, contributors in Australia? Yeah, look, it's certainly something I've thought about a lot. Um, and I think one of the main elements is just strong mentors so we were at that such a delicate transition period when you're 16 years old and, you know, between 15 and 16, and you're looking outside of your parents and you're looking outside, you know, your friends are the same age as you, so they're, they're pretty useless. <laughs> um, so you're looking for strong, and particularly as a male, strong male role models, 
And so when we had these two men, Jim and Paul, and one of them being a filmmaker um, and the other being a sports star, and and just if even if you take all the content out of it and it was just that, having two strong male role models giving a real shit about you is almost enough. <laughs> like I think in, in some sense, when I, when I think about just uh, the privilege of having that, but then when you add layer on to that, the content, which is, you know, just talking about expression, talking about, and, and just creating a, a positive peer group that was really the absolute antithesis of what my school peer group was like, which was very negative and, you know, you would, there was nothing cool about being good at anything. Anyone that was good was, was sort of pulled down and rubbished. Um, it, it was just, you know, it's just a normal high school environment that can be just pretty negative. So to have the opposite of that once a week, which people that your own age, strong role models, and it's positive, I think that just created an expectation that we could do good things and we could do cool shit and we weren't limited by other people's beliefs. We were able to forge our own path and then, you know, so we had this peer group that would just, we'd all be inspired by each other and one person would do something and that would make the rest of us think, well, fuck yeah, I can do that too. And um, yeah, look, mate, we were so, so privileged and I have no doubt, I... There's no way I would be living the life I'm living now without that influence. I love the, um, you know, I love talking to people who are, have, you know, achieved success in their career, just about really pragmatic things in their in their day to day. Sure. Are you still do you're still doing breakfast shift, drift, breakfast radio shift? So is your timetable no. now much more nine to five? Yeah. Nine to five, eight to six, whatever it happens to be. Um. Well, so so my work schedule. Yeah. Where, where are you are you in the office uh, for Not breakfast for bre- time? No, no. No. Fuck no. I haven't done that. I mean, throughout my career, like, I've worked on, outside of Hamish and Andy, I've worked on lots of breakfast shows. I mean, you might have heard we've had quite a few breakfast shows in Sydney (laughs) over the last um, short period, some of which I've had a bit to do with. So certainly, you know, I do breakfast radio hours from time to time, but I've got two young kids, so my normal schedule is trying to get up before they do, and, um, and I usually... I have a pretty, I mean, I don't know how much detail you want, but I have a very OCD kind of morning, um, which is, you know, I, I get up around, well, twice a, twice a week I'm trying to run in the morning, so that's like a quarter past five get up. Then the other three days a week I'm up at six and I do a gratitude journal every morning. So I've got this simple three questions um, that you answer, same three questions you answer every morning, and it takes five minutes. Um, have a shower, get myself ready, and then I cook. I, I always cook a breakfast. I have this exact same breakfast every morning, which is just like vegetables and proteins and, and stuff like that, and try and eat really healthy. Um, and just try and get myself totally ready before the kids wake up, which is usually anywhere between sort of 6.30 and, um, and 7 o'clock. And then I have about an hour, an hour and a half with the boys. Um, and then on the days I haven't run, I come straight to work. And then on the days, sorry, on the days I have run, I come straight to work. On the other days, I'll go and do, a, I'll swim or do Pilates before I come to work. Brilliant. So, yeah, I try and, um, and, I, and sorry, within that also, I'll, I'll have a, a series of blogs I'll read, news I'll read, get back to a couple of emails as well. Hey, what do you, blog-wise, what do you enjoy? Um, oh, look, I, I read a couple of nerdy sort of digital media ones. Um, the Nyman, what's it called? I'm checking my email now. The Nyman blog. I don't know, I get them as emails, so I just sort of read them. What I might even do is get you to give me like a, you know, sure, a yeah. hit list of things that you've been turned on by online. Totally, easily. Because I feel like, um, there's such an endless, like, pool of blogs and podcasts know, and things to consume and every people have favorites everyone's got yeah. stuff that they really do you love. know seth godin is, is probably the number one so his email every morning is oh, it's just always oh, so good um but yeah oh i can email you fantastic well um i love that i love the specificity of your routine was that a conscious choice to devise a structure totally. for your morning and how, oh, long, yeah, how yeah. long ago did you decide to do that do you know what it's it's been about having kids like kids uh 
it make it, your time so much more um, scarce. <laughs> so you you have to like I, I would just get really I might I feel out of control if I'm trying to get myself ready and do those things while I'm also trying to parent. It just doesn't work. So um, yeah, absolutely a necessity of having kids is just being very structured and very specific about you know what i need to do and when otherwise it just doesn't work you know i, I interviewed your partner katie yeah. on this podcast a little while ago yeah. and the uh she has belongs to a similar world you know she's you know part of radio as well mm-hmm. do you guys share that's pre-kid time in the morning or do you do you keep it separate and do you no. have a, a solo space that you like no. to exist in no katie i mean she she sleeps up until when i leave so she, i'll um I'm usually dropping the kids in bed with her as I'm walking out the door. So no, I, and I love I love that. I love to get. I love that I get that morning by myself. You know, I can listen to a podcast or I can listen to the radio or, or whatever. I just yeah, I love that time in the morning. Have you noticed a change in your energy throughout the day once you did start prioritizing your time in the morning? Um, absolutely, and then. And what I also try and do, I don't know if this is useful, but when I get to work, I, I try and do, I, so I have a notebook that I carry with me everywhere. This is about specifics. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I have on the right-hand side is is my essentially my to-do list. So I'm just constantly adding in, you know, the things that I need to get done. And then um, on my left-hand side I is my agenda for our daily planning meeting so we have a daily show planning meeting at 12:30 and so and that's anything um with the boys it can be you know any decisions we have to make on guests or thousands of things we've got to make decisions on um it might be travel we've got to agree to and and schedule um as well as all the creative things of okay what do we want to do with this guest or what do we want to um how are we going to bring this idea to life today or whatever so I'm sort of constantly running down on the left-hand side. And then, so what I try and do, what I do do before I check emails in the morning is is write this priority list from the day before. So I'll look at what I didn't get to yesterday and that starts my to-do list for the following day. Mm-hmm. And I try and sort of write them in the priority. So things that are not super urgent start at the bottom, things that I need to do now are at the top. So like I try and take my time to set this up first before I do emails, because I find if you don't, your email becomes your to-do list, which is essentially someone else's to-do list. Mm. And so, I, 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 and I'm not, look, it's, I'm certainly not perfect at it, but I try really hard to have my priority list or slash to-do list separate from my email and, and put my energy into that first. And just be clear on what I need to do today before I open up emails and there's problems you got to deal with and things you got to, urgent things people want you to get back about and and I just find if I start on my email my whole day's fucked and I'm just doing other people's shit that's a fantastically strong process Has, have you always had some form of a process like I that? I have every single notebook from 12 years ago <laughs> under my desk like and I don't know why I literally never go back to them but I can't bring myself to throw them out but yeah I've had same book the same, same type of book same type of book right, me too. same process um absolutely well I, it just works you know and um and i so the other thing i try and do is just if i haven't had a chance to read the headlines and stuff um before um i've got to work i'll do that before i start email because i mean email is important obviously and i use it all day every day but it um can quick, quickly become your to-do list and then it's just really ineffective. Well, I love the idea. Well, I love the thought of you going into work with new teams of radio and you yeah. know, the way in which you're bringing all of that sort of expertise to the table. Mm. What do you think makes a successful team? Can you smell it a mile away before <laughs> the rest of the world does? Do you know what? It's a great question. Um, and I don't think there's one answer, but I can tell you the things that certainly contribute, and that's um, m- most shows I've worked with have failed because they haven't figured out the teamwork aspect. And I've seen lo- well, I've seen lots of shows that were infinitely talented, really funny, um, 
you know, had everything going for them on the air, but they just couldn't get the teamwork bit right and then they just start cannibalising themselves and and they spend all their time trying to work out those personal issues and none of their time figuring out what's the next awesome thing we're going to do on the show. And, and then, you know, they, they start to get jealous and then they start to get... Um, it just can get toxic really quickly. And when it's toxic, it's so hard to be funny and have fun live <laughs> on air with no safety net if there's any sort of toxic shit in the room. So, and those are skills that are not taught anywhere and they're not practiced many places. So, you know, it's really challenging for a lot of teams. It's like, you know, they know what what the sort of things they need to work through, but there's not often a kind of roadmap of how to do it and who's going to hold your hand if it goes wrong. And Do you come to them and say, guys, this is how I think it needs to go down and then they take or leave your advice or... So in the in the setup phase, I'm trying to set up some agreements to put in place now while we all love each other and it's all going really well and we're not tired and you don't shit me yet. So let's get some agreements in place now of how we're going to handle those conversations and how, um, how do we like to have those conversations. When's a good time? When's a bad time? Um, what are my hot buttons? What you know? What hasn't worked in the past that we can learn from? Um, so th- I'm just facilitating that conversation, and the outcome being: all right, now we talked about this three weeks ago. Now you actually shit me, and I'm tired, <laughs> and, and we need to kind of hopefully draw on, or a producer or some grown up in the room can say, hey, this is what we were talking about a few weeks ago. You know, you said you were open to this sort of feedback. What's changed? Or um, clearly there's a conversation we need to have here. Hmm. When's a good time to have it? And what's the beginning of the end? Is it when people get fearful and insecure? Or, or I suppose there's many things that could sink a ship like that, but hmm. you know, is it, do you, is there the same, do you notice the same tipping point in all of those sinking ships? We're like, <laughs> Oh, I, this has happened. It's a matter of time before we go down. Uh, no, I mean, I don't think it's, it's never one thing, you know, but, it's certainly, it, it, when you have ratings pressures, um, when you have ratings pressure, that can mean, you know, that can cause stress. And when you're stressed, you know, small things can up, upset you. And you're un- and when you're under pressure, it's just a really difficult time to be funny, you know. Because and- oftentimes the powers of be choose a couple of, like, you know, choose the talent, mm. you know, almost not at random, but at the very least they go, well... Sh- she's great because she reads well with that demographic. Mm-hmm. He's great because he reads well with that demographic. We can capture both those demographics by putting them together and seeing if they fly. You know, yeah. often... Uh, well, I don't know if it's as... It, as um, I don't think it, it... It generally is a little bit more About the chemistry? Yeah, it's about... It's uh, Generally, it's like, let's trial as many people as we can and try and listen for the chemistry. Mm-hmm. You know, which which combinations spark off each other better you know and who and which combinations find each other funnier or find each other interesting you know that's generally what we're looking for um but you're right they it can be completely random and you can have often stand-up comedians who have made their living relying on no one just themselves standing on a stage anywhere in the world and and no one to rely on and no one to be disappointed by and, and no one to let down to then chucking them into this bizarre team with um, lots of big personalities and suddenly you live or die by whoever's on the other side of the desk as much as you do whatever's coming out of your own mouth. So, you know, that's a hugely challenging transition. Um, And I'm also really aware that what makes people interesting to an audience can also make them really difficult to work with. And and I think as a as a producer, I'm always really aware that like if you're going to have the benefit of someone's personality, which is you rating well and you've got a great show that people love, you've got to cop some of those personality um, traits that might make them 
a little difficult to manage sometimes. It, you know, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, oh, we'll have all the good parts of that personality trait, but we won't take any of the negative side effects, I think. And that's not to say you should ever let people disrespect you, but you need to be, um, you need to understand that what makes them interesting also can mean, you know, they, they might, it might mean they have some insecurity issues. So, you need to be compassionate about that and, and not take it personally. Well, you work with so many people who've you know, had great success in that space. It's a dream job for so many people to work mm. in radio. And if you were a really young and impressionable person who just thought, drive time, I just want to do drive time radio. Mm. It's all I want to do. Mm. How do I do it? Mm. What would you say to that person? Um, I've had no experience. Uh, uh, I just need to know, you know, yeah, what, exactly. how do I start to do something Look, I, I reckon that I'd talk to at least one or one person a week that fits that description. And my advice is usually, um, in this day and age, you do not need Fox FM or a big radio station or whatever to produce something. Like, if you're waiting for an opportunity to produce something, you've missed you've missed the point. Like right now, I mean, look at this. You've walked in here with what's the $200 Tascam and you're... Hey, 340. 340. All right. You've, you've bought it, like you've just made something, you know, like you're just making it. And if someone emailed you and said, hey, I'm a young producer, I love your podcast, I'd like to help you produce it, what would you say? Oh, let's have a coffee. <laughs> exactly. But like, you know, I, like I just say to people, there's a million... Um, content creators out there, most of whom are doing it out of their bedroom, just find someone that you connect with and help them produce it. Of course. Because because if you're, well, I suppose if you're that person who wants to get into that space, Mm. you can benefit from someone else's ideation and all the things that they're doing anyway. Yeah. And it also sounds like the success that you've had has been to do with a number of things, but the fact that you've always worked with people whom Mm. you really enjoyed, Mm. were very creatively turned on by, who themselves Mm. were probably you know, had great opportunities, mm. you know, because they were really hardworking. Mm. And so it might be a case of finding other people who you really gel totally. with and can, can, can work off. To- totally. And, but also like, just like find someone as well. Like, you know, like just make something and you don't have to be the performer of it, but there's a lot of performers out there that would love a producer to just say, Hey, do you know what? I reckon I can help you find a bigger audience um, but because I'll, I'll, what if I put together a digital, uh, a social plan for you? So every time you create an episode of your podcast, um, this is how I can help you promote it. Or would you like me to help you book guests? Or would you, you know, I'd like to enter your podcast in some awards, you know, whatever. Like just, just help make it. And that, those are the people that when we're hiring and they can show me, oh, look, I produced this podcast, I produced this comedy festival show, I produced this comic whatever like they're the ones that impress me rather than the people that are kind of waiting for someone to say yes you can have a turn because i just think that that just doesn't exist anymore and it's that i imagine if you if you guys have been doing your thing 15 years later Mm. you are starting now Mm. you that you would probably be you know using the wealth of opportunity that this new frontier has allowed yeah well i mean look hamish and andy were on sin fm and doing that for free and and just taking any opportunity they could get on, on community radio. Um, and then obviously Hamish was working behind the scenes and then he used that to get himself a spot like r- late at night and then that turned into another kind of off-Broadway spot. So like, yeah, it's all momentum and it's, but it's all, you gotta, you gotta generate your own momentum by just making things and, in this day and age, you don't have to wait for a, a TV network or a radio network to have something to produce. Like, so that that would be my advice. And and um, and um, yeah, that's about it, really. I mean, it's it's just about making things. And and producing is such a broad skill set that if you like, my I got my start essentially producing events for teenagers camps and workshops and events loosely that was my first foray into production but it absolutely translated to a radio show because it's all just problem solving it's all just communication it's all just um, contacts it's all the same stuff 
Well, I love to finish off by asking people, you know, if I was about future projection stuff, and it sounds like, you know, you said you don't really have six month plans mm-hmm. and five year plans, but if I was to check in with you in a year's time, yeah. is there any goal or personal thing, and it could even be with your behind the scenes personal practice mm. that you'd love to refine or take to another level? But if I checked mm. in with you in a year's time and said, hey, how's that thing going? And you would be like, yes, I nail it. It's, it's fantastic. It's so different to what it was a year ago. What's the one thing that you'd love to to have transformed how it looks? Great question. Um, look, probably one thing I'm most excited about at the moment is of working with a couple of friends, ironically, on a podcast network. <laughs> so it, it's still very much in the early days. Um, so, and I'm always a bit awkward talking about things that haven't happened yet, but. Um, yeah, it's just been a really fun process to take my take the, the skills I have at, at producing radio shows and put that into pod, like I love podcasting and we've always podcasted the Hamish and Andy show back from day one and, and so I've always you know enjoyed consuming um, podcasts and and just watching the industry grow. So, yeah, right now, I mean, again, it's very much in the early days where we're just figuring out what would a podcast network look like between us, um, how, what's the monetization model, um, and and throughout that process, um, yeah, we're just doing a whole lot of interesting things. So in terms of what am I excited about that, and then the other thing I would say is... Um, it's our last year with the Hamish and Andy show. So, you know, I'm trying to find that balance between wanting to have it be the biggest and best and most um, impressive year of content we've ever done. But I'm also really aware of going most of the time when we focus on scale rather than idea, it doesn't go well. <laughs> So I'm trying to go, you know, what are we going to do to finish the year, finish the the show, um, but not get swept up into my ego of wanting other producers to think, oh my God, how did did they do that, you know, because that generally doesn't lead to the best ideas. Um, Yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you, mate. You're a really great interviewer and... um, Yeah, I really enjoy the podcast, so it's an honor to be on it. Oh, thank you so much. Cheers, mate.